0: Hi, and welcome to Stefan Levera Podcast, a show about Bitcoin and Austrian economics. Now, what do you think about this idea of getting on zero? That means getting on zero fiat. Now, this has been a topic of discussion, and in fact, I wrote an article about this, so that's in the show notes if you're interested. And so for this one, I invited heavily armed clown, also known as Hack, Uh, And we talk about this idea of getting on zero. So we talk about the steel man of the case. We talk about some of the pros, the cons, dealing with CGT, dealing with having an emergency fund. What do you do with your day-to-day expenses? What kind of shifts does it drive in terms of your mindset? And what kind of reasons are there that you might still need to hold fiat even if you are an all-in bitcoiner or otherwise an all-in bitcoiner? Now, this show is brought to you by Swan Bitcoin. Swan is the easy way to buy Bitcoin and also learn about Bitcoin. So for those of you who have your family and friends and you need an easy way for them to get onboarded and to receive education in the process of them purchasing Bitcoin, send them over to swanbitcoin.com. Over at SWAN, there are free resources like the book Inventing Bitcoin by Jan Pritzka. You can get that at swanbitcoin.com free book. Now with SWAN, you are not just getting an easy way to purchase Bitcoin, but you're also receiving world-class service and customer support. So if you want to help your friends and family sign up and also receive some commission for the first year that your friends and family sign up, go to join the SWAN force. That's at swanbitcoin.com enlist. If you're in the bitcoin mining industry check out brains.com that's brains with two eyes brains offer brains os plus this is aftermarket or third-party custom firmware that you can install on your machine to optimize your performance so you get more hash rate for your electricity bill now go and check the website out they've got currently supported models there but for example Antminer models s19 s19 pro t19 and s19j pro are supported and don't forget, if you use Brains OS+, and then you also point your hash rate towards slush Pool, you actually receive 0% pool fees. So that's a really great feature. And you're also supporting the adoption of Stratum V2, the next generation Bitcoin mining protocol. Also on the Brains website is the Insights dashboard. So you can go there and use the profitability calculators, and they've got all sorts of useful information there on the website. So go to Brains.com. Now, if you're interested to get started with Bitcoin mining, you can go to compassmining.io. So if you're in the US, you can purchase an ASIC machine, have that shipped to your home and use the Compass at-home mining guides to get yourself started. On the other hand, if you don't want to use home mining, you can do that using the facilities that the Compass team have vetted. Now, you can have your machine sent to those facilities, you pay a hosting fee and you can then have your machine plugged in. You select which pool you want to point the hash rate towards, and now you're receiving SAT. And this can potentially be done without KYC. So that's another benefit there. So you don't need advanced technical knowledge. You can use the tools and the guidance that Compass Mining are making available to you to start your journey of Bitcoin mining. So that website is compassmining.io. And now onto the show with Hack. Hack, welcome to the show. Hey, it's good to be back. Yeah, so it's been a while since we spoke, at least on a call, but I was keen to discuss with you. I know um, you, you're, you're responsible for a few things. You're probably most well-known for the WTF happened in 1971, but also a podcast host and uh, have been talking a lot about the whole get on zero. So uh, yeah, I guess just actually just for anyone who doesn't know you, can you just give a bit of a, a an intro on yourself? Sure.
1: I think I first got into Bitcoin like around 2017. That was when I first started taking it seriously. You know, went through my, my early shitcoining days and <laughs> f- kind of finding my feed and, and figuring out, um, unlike a lot of Bitcoiners, I was kind of into Austrian economics before I found Bitcoin or like tangentially alongside Bitcoin, I would say. And uh, it really kind of clicked for me. Uh, you know, it took it took some time to kind of marinate but once I got Bitcoin and it, and it really sunk in, I was like, wow, this really is the future of money. A lot of this other stuff is just sort of a distraction because it, I, I was pretty blackpilled, I would say, before I found Bitcoin, just in terms of the state of the global financial system and global geopolitics. And uh, it, it was all a pretty big mess for me at the time. And I had a, a lot of trouble navigating it in a way that wasn't pessimistic. Uh, and Bitcoin kind of gave me a ray of hope in the world that I didn't have before, Um Orange pill, I guess you could say, yeah. And uh, as I got more and more into Bitcoin, you know, I I met a lot of other Bitcoiners who sparked a lot of interesting new ways of thinking for me and new perspectives for the world. And one of those people was Ben Prentice, who reached out to me to come onto my podcast at one point in time. And him and I linked up and got super into economics together and digging down the chart rabbit hole. And that's how WTF happened in 1971 came to be with just a lot of late night conversations with Ben and. You know, since then, I've had a lot of opportunities in Bitcoin. To I spoke at a Miami conference last year. I gave a talk on WTF Happened in 1971. I've written some pieces for Bitcoin Magazine. And, you know, more recently, I've kind of shifted my professional focus into trying to transition to being a full-time software engineer. So that's uh, that wouldn't have happened with it before Bitcoin, I don't think.
0: Yeah, it can definitely change all of us in many ways. Um, so today, I was keen to talk about this whole you know, get on zero basically. So in terms of fiat, Yeah. Now, um, mm-hmm. I want to like, I, I'm honestly, I'm open to the idea, right? I, I wrote an article about it and, you know, and I've um, spoken a little bit about it on Twitter here and there, And obviously you've been quite publicly promoting the idea. Uh, do you want to just start with your own explanation? How did you come to the idea and what made it click in your mind for you?
1: Yeah. So let's provide a little perspective, right? So, um, 2017, 2018, 2019, uh, we were all about like hodl and stacking stats, right? And I think that those are really good memes. They've been really good memes for Bitcoin uh, in terms of breeding adoption, getting people off zero, right? That was the meme too get off zero. Because that's kind of where get on zero comes from. It's a play on get off zero, right? And um, those are what Laser Hodl, I think, coined this term. Those are low inflation memes, right? I think a lot of us, like we were probably some of the few people in the world that were paying attention to what was going on in the repo markets, like in 2019, um, prior to the supposed coronavirus pandemic and financial meltdown in 2020. You know, do what you will with recent events in the world, uh, but the fact is that that global debt to GDP is higher than it's ever been. Negative yielding debt, you know, was closing in on 20 trillion a couple of years ago. We're more leveraged than we ever have. Um, Central banks have fewer tools to combat that leverage than they've ever had. And the economic reality is, you know, the types of things that Mises wrote about is that when you come to a point in time when governments are covering deficits with the issue of paper notes, well, then the currency collapse of those notes is inevitable, right? So we're really staring down the barrel of a pretty steep precipice here, Whereas, you know, whereas before, stacking sats was sort of like, okay, I I know where the future is headed. Uh, now I feel like we have a much clearer picture of how it's emerging. And, you know, the future is uncertain, right? So for me, for us, it's it's kind of like developing new real time strategies for navigating um, this emergent paradigm as, as we're stepping through it, right? And in the last year, just here in the United States, where I know I'm probably the most shielded from a lot of these fiscal and monetary forces, inflation has been very bad. You know, you look at things like housing, you look at things like food, you look at things like electricity or the cost of energy, um, pretty much everything all across the board has gone up and in some cases has been extremely volatile, right? So really the get on zero movement is about saying, hey, you know, we're at the opportunity we're fortunate enough right now um, to have the benefit of the hindsight of history and you know the, the understandings that we do of economics and this tool that allows us to sort of entirely opt out of this system at every level so get on zero isn't really like a purity test we're not looking to beat people over the head with our bitcoin bibles and say ah you still have 71 in your checking account it's more of a heuristic for looking for optimal strategies to navigate forward into the future. Like I know for me, my guiding principle is to minimize the amount of time uh, that I'm holding inflationary cut bucks, right? Because every second that I have a dollar in my checking account, no matter how few dollars it is, those dollars on average are going down in value. And my Bitcoin on average is going up in value. And I've become increasingly convinced that the volatility In Bitcoin is not necessarily, um, it it feels more dramatic, right? Because all of our purchases tend to be denominated in fiat and we tend to still do, we're all default default Keynesians at the end of the day, right? So we do our economic calculation in paper. But um, at the end of the day, like Bitcoin isn't really all that much more volatile than you know, when you're pricing something like lumber and Bitcoin, vice pricing it in dollars um, with with how just insane things have been in the last few years. So that's really the gist of it is like minimize the amount of time that I hold dollars, uh, maximize the amount of time that I hold Bitcoin. And in a lot of cases that ends up meaning I have zero dollars in my checking account.
0: Yeah, excellent. And so I think that's definitely the part that I can agree that there's definitely in the recent years, we've seen that shift and things have gotten even worse. And so... Even for me, when I was first getting into Bitcoin and the way I would talk about it, I was always being like, yeah, inflation's bad. And people would often say, no, Stefan, it's not that bad. It's, you know, but in recent years, it really is starting to get worse. And so in the US, obviously, this is like the fake number, right? This is their government number. 7% is the CPI number that they've said. Obviously, we disagree with that number. We believe it's actually higher than that. So, yeah, let's kind of walk that through in terms of what that looks like and sort of give us a steel man argument. Like, what should people be doing if they want to get on zero fiat? Like, basically, they are buying as much Bitcoin as they can. And then, basically, what's the sort of normal flow look like? Let's say you have your job, your fiat job. What does it look like for you if, as a get on zero practitioner?
1: So, I think it's going to look different for everybody. And a big part of that is because of the tooling isn't really there yet um, in terms of, so like I said, you know, so let's go back to like 2013, right? I mean, being a Bitcoiner was much different back then. Your options were very limited. Um, you didn't have access to like a lot of tools and resources. You were, you were probably buying your Bitcoin off of like Mt. Gox or peer-to-peer, right? Or you were mining it yourself. Things have changed a lot, you know, like even just in the last couple of years, a lot of these Bitcoin companies uh, that are servicing that stacking sats paradigm, um, have come online and offer those services to bitcoiners and that really was sort of a product of the demand from the community for those services it was like hey we want you know i want to be able to buy bitcoin and have it go straight to my cold storage okay well there's companies now that do that right but what's happening now is this new emergent paradigm of of Hey, our currency is collapsing, right? This currency collapse is inevitable. Uh, we're safer holding and using Bitcoin, which, which ultimately, you know, at the end of the day, Bitcoin is a money, right? And and we're looking at, um, it's not an investment, right? And and I think that the stacking stats meme has kind of conflated this in people's minds. They tend to think about Bitcoin more of an investment than as a money. Um, when in reality, what we're looking at here is like a very competitive, alternative money system. And there's a lot of historical precedents for this, right? Like you look at someone like uh George Soros, right, who broke the supposedly broke the pound, right, by speculating on currency and basically essentially shorting the pound, which is kind of what you have the opportunity to do now by leveraging your ability to hold more Bitcoin and and practically zero or negative dollars. So, I think it looks different for everybody. I know for me, like I can speak to what it looks like for me is that I get paid twice a month. All of my living expenses go into a credit card. You know, when I get paid, I get paid on the first, I pay my mortgage, whatever I have left over goes into Bitcoin, right? And I carry a $0 checking balance, put all my living expenses on a credit card. Then I get paid in the middle of the month, pay off the credit card, whatever I have left over goes into checking or goes into Bitcoin. Rinse and repeat, right? And what I hope to see, um, what I think we're already starting to see is, uh, fleshing out of that tooling for Bitcoin native banking, right? So I want to be able to have a bank account and I want to be able to have that bank account denominated in Bitcoin rather than denominated in dollars. I want to have a Bitcoin checking account and I want to be able to write a check or swipe a debit card and at that point of sale, um, have that conversion to whatever the local currency my merchant uh, I call them analog natives. Whatever the analog natives prefer, you know, at at point of sale, they'll instantly receive what they want, but I get to hold what I want.
0: And so, I think. Well, one small thing I would say. I do disagree a little bit that the stacking sats companies are out teaching as investment. I actually do think of it; it is savings. It's just that a lot of the newer people coming in think of it as an investment. And obviously, once you're kind of more orange-pilled, you get to that point where you are, no, it's my savings. This is the money of the future. But fine, that part aside, I think to the broader point as I see it around having a fiat balance or even having maintaining a small fiat balance. I think it's probably useful to hear you know from the get on zero guys what's the thought around let's say people who hold an emergency fund of in fiat terms. So, you know, if you look mm-hmm. at normie finance and uh, personal finance, they might say something like keep a 3 to 6 month fiat emergency fund. So, what would you say to that idea?
1: Yeah, I mean, so ultimately I I think savings is really important, right? Because savings is how we accumulate capital savings by deferring consumption. Now, right? We can better plan for the future because the future is uncertain, right? So savings are probably one of the most important things to have, but we're, we're stuck in this rut of default Keynesianism, where we still, that animal part of our brain is still telling us that that paper money, the government issues is safer to hold in times of uncertainty than Bitcoin, which we know objectively has better monetary properties, right? And, and it's, it's kind of just a function of letting go of that animalistic part of your brain that tells you, no, something about this is wrong. This is unsafe. This is not right. You should be holding these government paper money, this government paper money, which is, you know, just essentially worthless. Like it's vapor. It's nothing vice Bitcoin right? What you know is objectively a much harder, sounder money, can't be debased, saleable across time and space, right? I mean, all it's a bearer instrument, whereas this cash is, is essentially nothing. And that, you know, even worse when you're holding it uh, in a checking account, you can hold your savings. You can take custody of your savings. Like, unless you're taking self-custody of the money in your bank account and hiding the dollars under your mattress, like, you know, you don't have access to that money in times of of true crisis. Uh, you, your bank could essentially be shut down. I think that a lot of the pushback to get on zero is directed at people who, you know, don't have that savings cushion and maybe will be subject to a lot of volatility and maybe we could get into that a little bit later but I think um having your savings in bitcoin means you're more likely to not need to service that savings over time, you know, as inflation is eating into it if it's denominated in dollars and say you lose 15% of your purchasing power over a year. Well, now you have to go back and add 15% to that savings in order to just be able to service it, to keep it on par with where it was, you know, when you first accumulated that capital. Whereas if you're saving in Bitcoin, right, that, that Bitcoin is becoming worth more over time. As the rest of the world is catching up to this and you're not not just servicing those savings you might have to like sweep a little bit out of it like into into like a colder storage or maybe you go out to a nice dinner or whatever because your purchasing power is increasing
0: right so the way i'm thinking about it is more like you might well recognize and obviously this is a bitcoin show pretty much everyone here is all about bitcoin we recognize bitcoin is the thing to hold to maximize that you can hold. But I think the pushback would be, from my point of view, it would be more like it's recognizing that we still live in a society where a lot of other people will not accept our Bitcoin directly. And so that means that necessitates us either selling some sats to get some fiat to pay that person, or you're using some kind of fiat service to allow us to pay for those bills. So for example, if your rent, your landlord does not accept Bitcoin, well, you're obviously going to have to sell some for fiat. And I think that's where the aspect of, let's say, the, the person who's holding a very high allocation to Bitcoin, but just keeping a small amount in, ter- in fiat terms, that part to me still, I think it still makes sense to manage these sort of day-to-day liquidity aspects of it, especially in the case where the other person doesn't accept Bitcoin, and especially the, around the aspect around CGT, which we'll probably get into that also. So from your point of view, what's the issue there then if somebody's holding a small emergency fund, as an example?
1: It's not even so much as that it's an issue, it's that in my mind, it doesn't make any sense. You know, because again, from my from my experience, like I still have to pay my mortgage in dollars and I do every month, right? But that doesn't mean that I'm not, that I'm abandoning my heuristic of minimizing the amount of time that I hold those dollars. Like I would say on average per month, I only hold dollars for a few hours, right? Because I see that money hit my account, I pay my bills and then the rest goes into Bitcoin. And, and in terms of my savings, like my savings are denominated in Bitcoin, right? And I know, I know with certainty that on average over time, those savings are appreciating in purchasing power, whereas I know that, that fiat savings that I would have would be depreciating in purchasing power over time, right? And, and really it's just kind of a matter of saying, okay, well, I know that right? And I'm going to use that as a guiding heuristic. Otherwise, I, my savings are being eaten into by the government. And and really, ultimately, like it's sort of more philosophically or more ideologically, like which system do I want to lend, you know, my liquidity and legitimacy to? Where where do I want, like my capital, my mind space is, is fully in Bitcoin. And I know that when the government prints more money, they're not stealing purchasing power from me, right? They're, I'm not funding drone strikes and as Stan or whatever. It's so... Hopefully that makes sense. I think I answered your question.
0: Yeah. So how I'm seeing it then is there might well be individuals who keep a high allocation to Bitcoin, but for strategic reasons would prefer to not have to, for various reasons, which we'll get into. I think probably the first one is if you live in a country or you are a tax resident of a country that has a capital gains tax, because here's the thing. Mm -hmm. As an example, let's say, you know, you take that fiat pay, but something happens out of cycle, that you need. Mm-hmm. And let's say, you know, you break your arm and you need to go to hospital and pay this big bill or your car breaks down. And what what are you doing then at that point where if you don't have the money to pay for this one-off thing and you haven't received the pay yet or to cover that, mm-hmm. then at that point you're having to, well, you're most likely having to sell some Bitcoin and pay capital gains mm-hmm. tax if, you're, mm-hmm. you know, if it's all KYC'd. Or if you find a way to borrow against your coins or something like that. I mean, do you agree that's essentially the, sit- yeah, yeah. the situation you'd be in? Definitely,
1: yeah, yeah, and I don't, but I don't see that as a negative. It's certainly an inconvenience. I, I don't want to give the government any of my money, uh, but if I owe them money, it means that I'm richer, right? Like if, if the government is coming to me and at attack with a tax bill, it means that I'm richer than I would have been otherwise, right? So, and and in a lot of cases, depending on how you do the accounting, like if you're doing HIFO, or if you're doing like first in, first out, or or depending on just how you're stacking that up. You may actually, you know, be able to take on capital gains, even though like you're net richer because you've been buying Bitcoin and holding Bitcoin for, for long enough that your savings have accumulated massively in value. Well, maybe your last paycheck since then, the price has gone down. And you can maybe potentially claim that as a capital loss, especially if you have pretty decent income, right? So in a lot of cases, I, I think it kind of nets out, especially if you're buying Bitcoin on a regular basis, and the price is fluctuating. And hey, I have to liquidate a little bit of Bitcoin into this local analog native currency to pay the warlords. Um, well, you know, I'm, I'm richer than I would have been otherwise. And, and maybe through some clever accounting, I might not end up owing them anything. It does create a bit of an accounting headache. You know, that that is certainly a real problem. And that's why I think that an honest conversation about this starts with saying, hey, you know, we need to see more tooling for Bitcoin native banking. I I think there's already some services that are coming online because ultimately, like if if you're doing all else being equal, if you're doing what you're doing now on fiat with a normal banking system, but if you could do exactly that on Bitcoin, denominated in Bitcoin fully, then all of that accounting would be taken care of for you because your paycheck would come in it'd be converted to Bitcoin, right? And then at point of sale... It'd be converted out of Bitcoin and all of that accounting would be done for you, like in that checking account. And this isn't to say like, you know, I am a firm believer of hold your own keys, savings go to cold storage, right? They're not held by a third party custodian, but like checking on Bitcoin native banking is functionally the same as checking on USD banking or fiat banking, right? So we're not really talking about like abandoning hold your own keys. We're talking about doing what you're doing now, like with your fiat, but on Bitcoin denominated, banking account, right? That would that would alleviate a lot of those um accounting headaches, I think. But um and then more broadly like to kind of circle back to what you were saying before is like it it kind of be like if you were living in like Venezuela, right? And you had access to Bitcoin and you had all this knowledge that we have. Uh and yes, like all of the locals like they're going to prefer to accept or be coerced to accept bolivars in, in the majority of transactions. Maybe you might run in with a few people who say like, "Yeah, you know, I'll take Bitcoin, just send me Bitcoin and I'll give you this good or service that you want from me. Uh, but in a lot of cases, you know you're going to be paying in Boulevards. You're not going to hold the boulevards just because all the people around you are accepting boulevards. You're you're going to minimize and, and this is an extreme example, right? Because I think it kind of highlights the logic. You're going to convert in and out of those boulevards when you have to at point of sale, like if you can help it, right? Because you know that they're, they're risk to extreme volatility. Uh, this isn't the 1980s, right? We're, we're not, we're digital natives and we're interacting with these analog natives of as, as if we're in a foreign land, right? And, and we're using their currency because their wo- local warlords demand it. But like technology has made it so easy for us in many cases, especially with Bitcoin, to be able to transact and like instantly be in and out of the currencies that we need to interact with these analog natives. It's not like we have to go and withdraw cash at the ATM and carry it around in order to be able to pay for things.
0: Back to the show in a moment. Have you thought about upgrading to multi-signature? Unchained Capital can help you with this. They've got this product called Collaborative Custody. Now, in this model, you hold two keys in different locations and Unchained hold the third key. This can be great to give you additional peace of mind, help you sleep at night, and now we are trying to remove single points of failure and so when you have this set up you can potentially still make a mistake and not lose your coins now if you're not sure about how to do this they offer a concierge onboarding program which you can purchase so you can pay up front for that they will ship you some hardware wallets they'll do a video call with you to get you set up even if you'd never hold your private keys and then store some bitcoin in that vault so go to unchained.com and use the code lavera for a discount Lend at Hoddle Hoddle is appeared to be a Bitcoin backed lending platform, so you can lend or borrow stablecoins globally and anonymously. Now, one benefit here is that there's not KYC, so you can sign up in just 30 seconds and borrow stablecoins without verification. You deal directly with other people, and together with the other parties, you control your collateral through that whole deal with all the interest paid at the end now on the other hand if you have stable coins and you want to earn some extra on that you can lend them out and get the highest returns issuing over collateralized loans with full interest guaranteed so lend at Hoddle Hoddle. lend and borrow stable coins on your terms at your desired interest rates there are no hidden fees the terms and conditions are transparent and you as users control the keys in the deal in escrow go to lend.hoddlehoddle.com. and if you're looking to secure your keys with a bitcoin hardware wallet look into the cold card by coinkites.com. The cold card looks like a little calculator. You can use it to generate and store your private keys. And you can also use it to ingest other secrets if you want to do your own entropy. And you can use this together with wallets like Electrum or Spectre desktop or Sparrow. And you can use it quite easily in different configurations. So you can use it as part of a single signature setup. You can choose to have a passphrase or don't have a passphrase, or you can use it as part of a multi-signature setup. With ColdCard, you've got all sorts of options and choices available to you. So that website is coinkite.com, And don't forget, they've also got metal seed backup products, as well as other tools and pieces that you might use alongside your ColdCard. So that's coinkite.com, And use the code LAVERA to get a discount. Back to the show. So um, I'm broadly... Like agree with a lot of what you're saying, right? Like I broadly agree that you want to be maximizing your Bitcoin, minimizing your fiat. I think the difference, or maybe the distinction in our views, is more kind of like I see more of a role for keeping a small sliver of fiat as a way of being able to deal with day-to-day liquidity issues, as opposed to literally going to zero. I think that's probably the main disagreement in my mind here. Is you're like the talk is ah uh, go to literally zero, whereas I'm sort of thinking of it more like minimize your fiat exposure because something might come up and you might not be able to quickly be able to sell some Bitcoin at the time that you need it. And if it's an emergency that you need to fix your car or go to the hospital or whatever it may be, that you you might be left in the lurch at some point there with $0 in your checking account. And if you're, you know, let's say your credit limit doesn't cover for that or if you don't have access to the right services that enable you to quickly, hmm. okay, I need to liquidate some here, Right. Yeah. I mean, I think,
1: yeah, I think if you're going to be doing this, you would want to have access to like a decent line of credit, right? I mean like there are credit cards that you can get at like, depending on, of course, I understand not everyone's circumstance is the same, but like I have access to basically a credit card with unlimited line of credit, right? And yeah, I don't ever want to carry a balance on that but because the interest is insane, but I mean it has unlimited credit, right? I mean, and, and you can still write checks as crazy as it sounds because nobody's going to go and cash a check that day. So like, even if you need to settle funds, like to check, like if somebody demands payment in, in fiat at that moment and you just don't have fiat, like checks are a lot of times an option. And yeah, yeah, that that is a problem. It would be great if I had a Bitcoin denominated checking account and I could write checks or swipe a debit card right out of that account. Uh, but the fact is, like if, if people aren't accepting credit cards, a lot of times then... They're they're taking checks, and I mean, or it's a wire transfer, um, and in those cases, yeah, you need to try to plan for those things. But very rarely are there like emergency situations where you can't put something on a credit card, at least in my experience. But I, I guess the way that I'm looking at it is that like Bitcoin offers me this opportunity to be set free from slavery, right? And it's it's kind of like to me still denominating like some of my energy in in dollars and saying, okay, like I'm gonna have. Um, 90% of myself in Bitcoin world and I'm going to leave one foot in the fiat world. It's kind of like going back to the farm once a week to work a day. You know what I mean? Like as a slave, it's like, well, you know, that I had that job security and, uh, and the, the, my master took really good care of me. So I'm going to go just like once a week. I'm going to just go back and I'm going to just, you know, like pick some cotton, uh, instead of saying like, no, I'm free now. I don't. I don't have to be a slave in this old system. I don't have to lend liquidity and legitimacy to these slave dollars that are stealing from all of us and, and are literally causing a meltdown of economic calculation and and um, peaceful and voluntary and profitable cooperation between people. Literally, the fundamental base layer of social cooperation is being eroded in front of us. The faster all of us, you know, move to Bitcoin, well, one of the things that I found, Stefan, the ways that this making this shift has affected me mentally, like affected the way that I do my economic calculations. For me now, it's a lot less about for for one thing, I'd rather pay people in Bitcoin right now because it's easier, right? So whenever I interact with anybody, I'd rather pay them in Bitcoin. And to be honest with you, um, when I'm getting like a quality good or a service, I'd prefer to pay people in Bitcoin because I'd rather exchange what I know is like a good hard money for like this good quality service or product that I'm receiving. Like I, I want to be able to have those types of transactions. It's very awesome to like know that I'm giving someone something of value, like in exchange for this thing that I value, right? That's the base layer of social cooperation—that's what we want. Uh, but beyond that, like Bitcoin now for me is less about speculating, right? It's less about like buying dips and about uh, sometimes like I would I would go through these motions where I'm trying to be stacking Sats extra hard. It's like okay, I'm not gonna go out to dinner tonight because I'm I really want to buy that dip that just happened, right? And, and that's like totally reasonable behavior like just dis- defer consumption right like take advantage of opportunity cost and those types of things uh, but for me now it's more about like okay i'm already on zero right like i don't i don't have any cash sitting around to buy the dip um i can't avoid going out to dinner tonight to buy more bitcoin so it becomes more of a game about maximizing my income which is a much more socially positive aspect of my personality now like because it's about okay how can i provide value to other people right and in exchange get more bitcoin right whereas before it was about like what can i defer and i still make deferment consumptions probably even more so now than i did before but it's more of like no i don't want to spend my bitcoin on that whereas before it was like i don't want to spend my dollars on that so that i can buy more bitcoin now it's about okay I need to uh, improve my income. I need to hone my skills. I need to provide better products and services to the market. I need to satisf- satisfy more people's needs so that I can get more Bitcoin. And I think that that's just a much healthier way to look. I think that that's how economic and social cooperation should look.
0: Right. Yeah. And so I- I'd certainly agree the mindset changes and benefits that you were highlighting there. And I think a lot of those really just come to anyone who keeps a high percentage of their net worth in Bitcoin already, right? Whether you are... a mm you know i think for me it's kind of like whether you're at 98 or 99% versus 100% i mean it's that last sort of 1 or 2% depending on where people are at or whatever that can be really hard for people because because of the access to the services or because as you mentioned the accounting headaches right like you might not have accounting software that deals easily with all of the bitcoin wallets that you use so for example obviously mm-hmm. the exchange transactions tend to be fine because you can normally download some kind of csv file put that into your tax accounting software or send that to your tax accountant if you have one and they can take it from there and run with it but if you have a bitcoin wallets on your phone and other things that aren't really connected that you can easily download that's probably one of the main headaches as, as you rightly pointed out and hey who knows maybe in the next few years we start seeing more products and services that help Bitcoiners deal with these aspects of it. Um, I'm And I'm personally excited to, I'm hopeful to see that kind of thing where maybe they do like a credit card where you can collateralize against Bitcoin and spend fiat, but actually it's credit. So that way you're not actually, you know, you're staying on zero in this in this case. So I think that's probably the main thing. But I think the other aspect, probably the principal objection I have to like literally going to zero rather than saying, you know, 95, 98, 99%, let's say. It's just that risk of an extended bear market, right? And I think that's something that for me as a 2013er, having been through multiple 80% drawdowns, it's just always, and maybe I'm overly paranoid, maybe I'm overly pessimistic on the path or price trajectory that Bitcoin takes or the purchasing power trajectory, if we want to use that term, that if we were to go through some big eighty percent drawdown, and then at that point, I would have to be spending Bitcoin. Or potentially, there's a risk that, let's say you, let's say you lost your job during this big downturn. At that point, I think that's probably the main thing in my mind, or at least one of the main things. So I'm wondering what your thoughts are on that.
1: Yeah. Um. So it's it's two things. Well. So first and foremost, yeah. If if you lose your income, that's not a good deal. Like in any situation, regardless of what you're. Uh, how you're denominating your capital, right? Like if you're fully in on Bitcoin, if you're half in on Bitcoin, if you're 98% in Bitcoin, losing your job hurts, right? And, and I think we can all agree that like income is one of the most important things in terms of your quality of life and your safety and security uh, is having that that regular income stream, because because especially and especially like if you're a Bitcoin native, right? Because As you're earning income, even though the price is going down, like let's say we had another extended bear market, even as the price is going down, well, you're getting paid on a regular interval, right? So as the price is going down, you're you're getting paid like in that equivalent exchange rate. So like, Yeah. yeah, while your savings might be relatively depreciating in value, like as you're getting paid, you're getting paid at that rate. So your income, like, uh, par- barring any like extreme circumstances, and and this is again why like savings are so important because the future is uncertain, right? And I think that we all agree, like, our baseline assumptions, I'm sure, are all the same. But beyond that, like, you know, historically, Bitcoin is it performs a 200% CAGR, right? And even in the midst of these bear markets, if you've been holding Bitcoin for more than um, 18 months, you know, chances are. You've seen your purchasing power appreciate. And even beyond that, like if you've been holding Bitcoin for more than a few years, um, a major drawdown in Bitcoin's price still doesn't eat into the appreciation that you've seen in your savings. Like, yeah, your your purchasing power mark to market is lower, but your your net savings, is you're still in a better position than you would have been otherwise, right? So I think I try to look at it a little bit more holistically, like I try not – because really – it's just a matter of like where do i want to place my energy where do i want to place my capital where do i feel why do dollar and and really evaluating in my mind why do dollars feel safer why do dollars feel safer because the same way that you feel about these potential drawdowns in bitcoin i feel about the paper money that my government issues right i'm now more concerned that that is less offers me less safety and security and stability than bitcoin because i know bitcoin is objectively better so why why would I be thinking in my lizard brain that the the paper money that the government gives me is, is better and safer in times of uncertainty?
0: So I think the the short answer essentially is that there are other people out there who you need to buy products and services from that do not accept Bitcoin. I think that's the mm-hmm. short answer is that it's not mm-hmm. that we're insane. It's that the, you know 90% of the world out there is still stuck in the fiat mindset and stuck only accepting fiat. And so we're kind of in this weird situation where... We want to be able to pay fiat and hold Bitcoin. And so just to the extent that you keep a small balance of fiat just to sort of satiate the, you know, to be able to satisfy the demands of the fiat people, that doesn't really seem like such a world changing amount or difference in my mind. (laughs) I
1: would disagree, and I think I think that uh, a lot of this this system it operates on the margin. I don't think that very many people have savings in general. Like if you look at the average American, most of them have no savings. In the case of an emergency, um, the majority of their economic energy is in their checking account, and it and it comes on the first, and it gets spent up until the fifteenth when they get paid again, or you know however often they get paid. Um, most people live paycheck to paycheck. And and that's a problem with their ability to, you know, maximize their income and and defer consumption. And maybe it's the lifestyle that they live, you know, it's a whole lot of problems. Uh, And, and Bitcoin doesn't necessarily fix that for them until they're ready to take that step and start to save um, and defer consumption or max or, you know, like increase their income, right? Because you have to do one or the other. I think it's kind of defeatist to to say, like, oh, this last $2,000, well, that isn't going to move the needle. I think it's not it's not really about that for me it's 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 like i said it's it's more about it and and don't get me wrong, being a pioneer is uncomfortable right These are kind of uncharted territories like this is a pretty radical idea um, to, to move completely away from what's comfortable and what's normal and what's familiar into uncharted land. Like it's, it's uncomfortable to be a pioneer and it's not for everyone. Right. And I understand that. And I, but I do think that there will come a time when everyone's going to want to move West, so to speak. Right. But like right now it's, it's the few forging the path, moving ahead, saying, we think that this is the way forward. And there are people that are saying like, well, I'm not going to follow you. You guys are going to die. But, that's pioneering in a nutshell. That's exploring new frontiers. And, and people may say, hey, it looks a lot better over there. Um, I'm going to try to catch up. And and what, one of the things that Laser LaserHodl said, says a lot is that um, really what we're kind of trying to do more holistically here is front load some of the pain of abandoning fiat, right? Because we know currency collapse is inevitable at this point. Like You cannot continue to cover deficits by with the issue of new paper notes. It's simply an erosion of the Base layer of social cooperation and trust, you can't do it. You know, Mises wrote about it. it. It inevitably causes currency collapse. Inflation is always a product of inflationist policy, not underlying economic conditions. So, really, what we're trying to do right now is, is front load this pain, right? Because it's it's not easy right now, and, and it's a little uncomfortable at first. For me, I, f- I feel better than I ever have. Like I feel more secure than I ever have, um, despite the fact that I hold zero dollars. And and I understand not everyone's going to do this, right? And that's why I think it's important to highlight that it's not a purity test. Uh, for me, it's a guiding heuristic. How can I minimize the amount of time that I hold fiat? How can I minimize the amount of energy, liquidity, legitimacy that I lend to the system that's stealing from us, that's eroding this base layer of social cooperation? That's my mission, right? I want to I want to move to a Bitcoin standard as fast as possible, and I think that this is just one more step as to how we get there sooner. Uh, and, and I think debating whether or not, you know, like that $2,000 in your checking account is going to move the needle, uh, I I think is sort of irrelevant.
0: Yeah, I think I probably agree that it's not going to really move. Well, it's probably not really of much use, right? It's like the people on 99% arguing with the people on 100%. Oh, no, like that last $1,000 or $2,000. I mean, whatever, it's not really going to really matter that much. It's more about how many people are going to be brought in and orange-pilled, so to speak, and who are now who are earning and then obviously stacking as much as they can into sats and hodling the sats is the important part. So I'm curious as well, how much of the concern, or I don't know, maybe this is not a concern at all for you, but retaining access to fiat services. So for example, in some banks, you have to have a certain balance to, you know, retain access because you might need to be able to make wire transfers or other kinds of electronic fiat, electronic transfers. Uh, does that play into your mindset there or anything around, let's say access to credit as an example, they might need to see a history, a certain history in order to be able to access fiat credit.
1: Sure. I mean, you know, we, we've got to be realistic here. Like there are certain constraints that you have to operate with and everybody's situation is different. Right. And that's why, again, like I just have to keep reiterating because I feel like a lot of the nuance of this movement was lost on Twitter, which of course, like, like everything, yeah. Like we understand, like there's going to be times like when maybe you're trying to buy a house and you have to show that you either have like cash or you have to show that you have income denominated in dollars or something. Right. And, and you're going to have to figure out a way to do that. Like you're going to have to sell some Bitcoin, move it to your bank account, take a snapshot, send that over to the adjuster. Like, yeah, you know, do what you got to do. Um, I, you know, I, my situation is different than everyone else's. I, I use a credit union. I don't use a regular bank. Um, I don't have to have any money in my account to still have access to those services you know I, I have a credit card that that just continues to work I, I pay an annual fee for access to like a premium credit card that gives me like an unlimited line of credit and and maybe that's the way to go for some people maybe it isn't i don't know yeah i'm trying to figure out this this path as i go uh and i've i've certainly found a method that works for me with the services that i have access to and i think that more and more services are coming online that offer like more robust tooling for bitcoiners to be able to operate like as bitcoin native bank uh, on a Bitcoin native bank, I, I think that that's closer than you would think in terms of being able to access that like directly as bitcoin native banking. I, th- I think that that's coming. yeah, and I'd really like to see a lot of the successful Bitcoin companies pivot to that. I, I would love to see that
0: right. And so one other aspect I'm curious to get your thoughts on. So this is a view articulated now again, I don't necessarily agree with this view. This is just I'm saying it for the sake of an interesting discussion. There are people like, say, Michael Saylor, for example, who comes out and says, oh, Bitcoin is digital property and we're still going to use the mm-hmm. US dollar because that's the world reserve currency. And in that frame of mind, it's kind of more like, oh, you just use fiat credit, right? So you would, obviously, if you're Michael Saylor, you can access very, very cheap credit. But let's mm-hmm. say, you know, the, the average pleb can't access that level or that pricing or those kinds of terms. But mm-hmm. should they still be thinking about actually using the fiat system for their own benefit. So, for example, if they were to use uh, fiat loans to be able to stack more, or should they use fiat car loan or fiat home loan, etc., to avoid spending Bitcoin and these kinds of things. And, of course, it's not a one-size-fits-all, like you were saying. Of course, everyone has their own financial situation and different needs and so on. But to that extent, what do you think about the idea of using the fiat system, the credit available to many people in the fiat system as a means of either stacking more or continuing to hodl rather than spend.
1: Yeah, I think it's 100% a great idea. I mean, like I'm not against it at all, right? Because that's what George Soros did when when he was speculating that the pound would fail, right? He was essentially negative, like he was shorting it by leveraging debt against that currency, right? And and that's that's essentially what you're doing as as a, as a bitcoiner who's leveraging fiat credit uh, to obtain more Bitcoin. I would, I would caution people to focus first on income to get to a secure and stable place in terms of savings and income, unless you're in a situation where you have no savings at all, and then maybe it's worth it to take a little bit of risk um, to try and acquire some Bitcoin and, and hope that it appreciates in value. Because if you're living paycheck to paycheck right now in this environment and you have no savings, you're in a really bad spot and you have really got to get your in gear uh, or this system is going to crush you. Right, you will be destroyed by this, um, and this is not a, this, is, this is not a joke. Like this is very, very, very serious, and and I I worry about people, you know. But the honest truth is that um, as this continues to accelerate, like a lot of people are going to lose everything, uh, and and I and I hate to see that. I hate to consider that, but that's an economic reality. Like we we can't. We're just observing this happening, right? And we're reacting to it as it emerges. Um, we can't change reality, right? This is what it is. But yeah, I, I totally think people who are, who are in positions you know, where they want to take advantage of artificially low interest credit, like uh, home equity loans or mortgages, or you know, maybe you're in a position where you can leverage business credit like Michael Saylor, by all means, you know, have at it. Do what you got to do to uh, short the dollar.
0: Fantastic. Now, probably the other objection that I've seen people give around this idea of getting on zero is perhaps what we might call staying under the radar, right? There might be some hodlers out there who, let's say, because they never sold Bitcoin, never had to actually report on it because they just wanted to be able to purchase Bitcoin and hodl it and only spend fiat and in doing so, not having to actually do a capital gains tax event and therefore not having to report. How much value do you place on that idea that there might be some value in a broad sense, of Mm -hmm. people staying under the radar and not reporting or legally not reporting things Mm -hmm. to the government
1: virtually none at all and and the example that i use is that like if if we were all buying under the table and selling under the table and and you know doing all of our transactions in cash peer-to-peer then bitcoin would look a lot more like monero than it does like bitcoin bitcoin is where it is because of the adoption curve right and the easiest on and off ramps for Bitcoin are through KYC institutions, right? And and unless you're accumulating all of your Bitcoin. So I think a lot of people conflate like when it comes to privacy, they conflate um, transactional privacy with um, custodial privacy, right? Because if you've bought any Bitcoin off of a custodial exchange, well, then some government institution knows that you own that Bitcoin, right? They may not be able to prove that you still have it or that you don't have it. And you can't actually prove that either. But well, you you can you can only ever prove that somebody is willing to sign a message saying that you own that Bitcoin. That's all you can ever really prove at the end of the day. Um, so there's like a difference between obfuscating custodial privacy, vice obfuscating transactional privacy, you know, through services like Join Market or Wasabi or whatever. And I think people conflate that problem, but I think that more than ever. Our, our most challenging, most urgent, most pressing problem facing us is this collapse of the base layer of social cooperation, which is money, right? And and what we need is to usher in the adoption curve of Bitcoin, whether that be through KYC, whether that be through no KYC, whether that be through peer-to-peer. The, the honest truth is that the fastest liquidity on ramps into Bitcoin are through KYC institutions, and that's okay, right? Like, trust me, I'm not a fan of reporting anything to the government. I'm not a fan of giving the government percentages of my net worth. I also don't want to go to prison, right? So I, ha- I have to play that game. I have to interact with, I have to follow the customs of the warlords, right? So to speak of the analog natives, but I don't, you know, like if you think that you've bought all this Bitcoin off of cash app and you're hiding from the government because you haven't reported any capital gains transactions, cause you've never sold a single Satoshi, like, I'm sorry, you're just deluding yourself. Like you're living in a fantasy world. If you've taken a picture of yourself with your driver's license and sent it into one of those exchanges, then they know you own Bitcoin.
0: That's correct. And so, at some point in the future, or even today, there are you know information sharing agreements going, and it depends on which country, of course, and which jurisdiction, and all of this. But it's quite common, and you know, it could quite. It could become a thing in the future where let's say person ABC is requested or by the government and they say, hey, person ABC, we asked the exchange, they saw you purchased, whatever, 50 million sats. Do you still have them now or do you owe us a capital gains tax bill on this? And so while I haven't heard of that yet, it is definitely a possibility in the, next, in the years to come. So that's something that people have to think about. And so, yeah, I think that's a good point you make. I would say there is perhaps... Even for, let's say, people who have KYC'd and purchased coins on some exchange years ago, let's say let's say someone bought coins in 2017 or whatever, at, you know, a few thousand dollars a coin or whatever. And, you know, now, as we speak, the price is $43,000. And so for them to now, if they had to sell, they would now have to, you know, pay that CGT basically. Uh, but I guess, again, this comes back to the point you were saying earlier that in this case of the, the get on zero, let's say that they would have been incrementally hodling a little bit more sats and therefore they are going to end up net-net ahead in sat terms, in Satoshi terms, which is obviously the terms we care about. So I suppose, would that be the steel man? Would that be your argument? Yeah, and you know, I... One of the things
1: that I find advantageous about get on zero is that it encourages me to spend my Bitcoin, right? Because like I said earlier, it's just easier, right? Because I don't have, I don't have dollars. I have a credit card. So if like, if you have a Stripe account, yeah, I can pay you with that. But it's actually easier for me to just pay people in Bitcoin. Um, And I actually think that we should be encouraging this because the more peer-to-peer transactions that we get going, right? Every time I send Bitcoin peer-to-peer to someone else, well, now it's liberated from that KYC. If I receive Bitcoin in exchange for like a good or a service, it's KYC free. No one knows that I, like, unless I'm keeping a record of the transaction and I'm aligning it with like the customer's information, which, you know, I'm not doing for any of the things that I'm receiving Bitcoin for in exchange, like as a service. Um, Nobody's come along and said, hey, you need to make sure you do this. I'm not going to. Every single time, like you send Bitcoin peer to peer, it's liberating it from this KYC system. So if we want to get to the point where like we're kind of making uh that custodial risk irrelevant like we need to get as many people on board as we can and we need to increase the amount that people are actually using bitcoin as money because then it kind of becomes irrelevant like whether or not you've been kyc at, at point of sale or whether or not you were kyc at point of liquidation we want to we want to expand the bitcoin economy we want more and more people coming on board getting involved with this using bitcoin to store their uh, economic time and energy um and and that's how we win, right? We win by reaching, you know, increasingly accelerating levels of adoption. Uh, we win by using Bitcoin as money and, and making the fiat slave money irrelevant.
0: Right. Yeah. I think that's probably a good spot to finish up. So I think uh, for me, I'm not, for me. At least here's the way I'm thinking about it, and I'll give you a chance to also respond with your own thoughts on it as well. But I think the way I'm seeing it is, I I, I believe that eventually we're all going to get on zero. Eventually but i think yes it's subjective but i think there's potentially depending on your business and how you do things you may be in a situation where you have to wire fiat and so you might need a small amount of fiat liquidity but you know i don't want to dox too much of my own personal life but basically it's let's say it's it's in a very high allocation percentage and that it's not it's essentially i am i'm still operating under that general idea of minimizing fiat i'm just not literally at zero that's where i'm at um but if you want to give any closing thoughts for listeners about why they should think about getting on zero or minimizing Fiat. Uh, and of course, where can they find you as well?
1: Yeah. Maybe minimize Fiat would have been a better, like a less, um, obtrusive hashtag for people. Like we would have caused a lot less drama and, but nobody would be talking about that. Right. So correct. Get on zero, right? Like it's in your face. It's, it's radical. It's crazy. It's, it flies in the face of like what a lot of people think traditionally is smart. Um, But, you know, our world doesn't make a lot of sense right now. And I think we all want to see clown world end. And I think, you know, every dollar in our checking account is one more dollar, you know, for them to steal from you to pay for clown world. Right. And, And I want to raise my kids in Bitcoin world, not clown world. I don't like clown world. I don't enjoy clown world. I don't have fun in clown world. If Clown World keeps me up at night, I want Clown World to end as soon as possible. And, and I can take steps towards that by reducing the amount that I fund Clown World, which Clown World is funded by deficits. Clown World is not funded by tax revenues. So, uh, that's really what it comes down to to me. And, and yeah, I, I think you, you know, cause you, you said it's subjective and, and I would, agree that it's subjective in the sense that like you have to do what works for you but i don't think that you're going to go wrong if your objective holistic guiding principle is to minimize fiat minimize the amount of time that you hold dollars minimize the amount of dollars that you hold or you know whatever your your fiat currency of choice is i use dollars because i'm american um (laughs) america and uh (laughs) I don't think you'll go wrong. You know, I, I, I really don't. I don't know the future. The future is uncertain. The uh, future is uncertain for all of us, despite what anybody may tell you. But I know that Bitcoin is objectively the best choice.
0: Fantastic. And Colin, where can people find you?
1: Oh, they can find me on Twitter at armed c.
0: Fantastic. Thanks, Hack. Thanks, Stefan. Get the show notes at stefanlevera.com slash 342. And I'll also include a link to the article I wrote on this exact topic. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you in the Citadels.